Well, good morning. So good to be here. Worship was uh, crazy good. I was thinking we just need to do that for an hour and say amen and go on about our business, right? Can't do that, though. You can imagine what come over me when I heard Suzanne's vision the day after she had this on a Wednesday night, and it was, it was at a perfect time because you know how the enemy works. He's a punk, and he wants nothing more than to, to cut our legs out from underneath us. And it was one of those times, even, and we as ministers struggled as bad as anybody. Uh, it was one of those times where Satan was just pumping my head full of lies. You're not doing enough. They're the kids ain't caring. And, you know, this, it was just a whole lot of different things. And then when she sent me that, it just it lit a fire. You know, that the gospel is the gospel. And it doesn't need me or anybody else. It just needs to be presented and, and that's what we do. And, and man, there's some crazy things happening out there. Uh, please join along with us and pray for these kids. I implore you. Man, they are getting pulled a thousand different directions, as you can possibly, as you know. Uh, and they need us. They need us as a family to come alongside them and do life with them. So get a bracelet, pray for them, uh, love on them. It will be very much appreciated. So, funny story. I'm kind of weird. Nobody said amen. Yes, it passed. All right. So, in all actuality, I was dressed up this morning. Okay? I had on a button-up shirt, tucked in. I mean, it was nice. Till I got up to the loop, and I spilled coffee on it. That's not the weird part. The weird part is I have a phobia about wearing shirts that match somebody else. I cannot go anywhere and have on the same shirt as somebody else. It just freaks me out. So I always, always, always have extra shirts in my truck in case I need to go change. And I've done it many times. I've actually left places and went home and changed before because somebody had on the same shirt as me. I know God is not through with me yet. But it paid off this morning because I was able to change shirts. Didn't have the coffee stains. We're all good to go. Message of the day, keep an extra shirt in your truck, because you never know when things are going to happen. All right, Psalm 46. Let's stand as we read the Word of God. God is our refuge and our strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns, and though the nations made an uproar and the kingdoms tottered, he raised his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us, and the God of Jacob is our stronghold. Come behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, and he cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, we're so thankful uh, that your spirit is here with us. Father, we're so thankful that you're speaking to our hearts just now. You're showing us and revealing yourself to us in new ways. And God, we're so thankful that you give us your word, which points everything to your son, who makes all this possible. So Jesus, you be glorified in this. Holy Spirit, you do what you do, you, 
you do in us what you intended for us to be here so you could do. You're the one that changes lives. So you be on full display this morning. We love you. We praise you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. So I got a lot of different places in Scripture that I go to regularly just to uh, be reminded of of who Jesus is and just exactly uh, what Jesus has done. And while I could list every one of them, we could be here till next Wednesday. Uh, I'm not going to do that, but I am going to mention a couple of them. The first one is Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 reinforces my identity in Jesus, and I think that's something that every one of us struggle with at one time or another in our lives, just who we are. But I go to Romans chapter 8, and I, and I read about what Jesus has done for me, and, and it reminds me that who I am is who I am in him. Not who I am in the world, not, not who I am in, the, in what people think or see, but who I am is who I am in Jesus, and nothing else matters. You see, I'm a people pleaser, and I can get so caught up in trying to please people that I forget who I am in Jesus. Romans chapter 8 brings me back down to that place. I am who I am because I am who I am in Jesus. It reminds me that his love is greater, and in him alone I am more than a conqueror. And, man, that's a huge word. Through Jesus we are more than conquerors, meaning there's nothing that can overcome us through the power of Jesus Christ. If that doesn't make you want to do a backflip off a stage, I don't know what does. I'm not going to do that because i got a bad hip, and I don't want Stacey to have to take care of me. But we are more than conquerors through Jesus who loves us. He reminds me of that in Romans chapter 8. He reminds me that I can be convinced. And Paul uses that word convinced. Some translations say persuaded. Paul says I can be convinced. I can know without a shadow of a doubt that his calling and his ability on my life cannot be taken away. I can't even take myself away. I can't even pull myself out of his hand. It's there. It's solid. It's secure. I'm a son. Cannot be removed. That's Romans chapter 8. It is amazing stuff. I love in the Gospels in Matthew 26 and Mark 14 and Luke 22. And we all know the story where Jesus is in the garden and, and he's sweating blood. And, and that's physically possible. It's scientifically proven that if you're under that much stress and under that much concern and under that much anguish, that it is possible for blood to pour out of your pores. That's, that's right, pour out of your pores. Jesus is in the garden and he's sweating blood. He's in such anguish because he knows what's fixing to happen. He knows exactly what's coming and, and he's praying to the Father that this will, this wrath be taken from him, this cup be removed from him. And, and my favorite part of, of, this, script, of this passage is, is the end where he says, but not my will. God, not my will, but your will be done. You see, what Jesus was experiencing here is something that we all experience, that pull between our fleshly bodies and, and the spiritual side that Jesus lives in, that pull between flesh and the world. And Jesus went through these things so he could understand the temptations and the trials that we all face so that we have this great high priest who is sitting on his throne who can sympathize with us, what Hebrews tells us. He can sympathize with us because he's been there. He knows what we're going through. He knows the pull. He knows the anguish. He knows the hard stuff. But it also says that he was without sin. He was tempted in all these things, yet was without sin. Therefore, we can come near to him in our times of trouble. We may find that grace and time and help in time of need. This prayer reminds me that, number one, Jesus chose this. He chose this. At any time, he could have called down 12 legions and angels. We know these stories, these accounts. He could have stopped it at any time, but he chose to go through it. Philippians said that he became obedient, even to the point of death. Why? 
for me. He chose to die to pay a price that I could never pay. Through his love and through his grace and through his mercy, he died so all the promises of the Father could be ushered in to me. It's crazy. It don't make any sense. But yet he did it anyway. And secondly, he did all this for me so that in him I can be complete. You know, one of the things that draws us away from God so many times is our desire to be fulfilled somewhere apart from Jesus. And, and, and you can label it whatever you want to label it. But we desire something more. We're looking for something more to fill, fill us up and, and, and give us some kind of satisfaction. But you're never going to find it outside of Christ because it says in Colossians 2.10 that in him you have been made complete. Not in things of the world, not in fleshly desires, not in the stuff that we chase after, but it says in him you have been made complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. You see, him dying for me fulfilled me. It showed me that I'm loved by his overwhelming love. I'm covered by grace. And this is the stuff we look for. We chase love to the end of the world thinking we're going to find it somewhere apart from Christ. In him, we have the love that we're desiring. In him, we're free. We're found worthy. Not one of us is worthy. Not one of us is worthy. But through Christ, through what he did on the cross, we are now worthy. We have strength in him. Man, on our own, we're weak. Weak, 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 weak. Can't do anything. But through Christ, we have all this strength. And then Psalm 91. Love it. Love Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Because Jesus is my dwelling place, guys, I'm good. You hear me? I'm good. I don't think we need to go into a whole lot of discussion about what that means. In Jesus, we're good. He's proven himself to me time and time again. And when I'm dwelling in him, I don't have to worry about doing life alone. I don't worry about having to fight battles alone because he can be trusted. And not one time has he ever left my side for me to do this myself. Not one time has he ever left me to try to figure things out. Not one time has he forsaken me. But my go-to place, man, that place that stays marked in my Bible all the time, and I got a mural actually painted on my wall in my office that one of our, one of our youth did for us, and it's Psalm 46. Psalm 46 is my place. It brings me back. It brings me back to the foot of the cross. It reminds me who I am and what I've got in Jesus. C.S. Lewis wrote this. If you cannot trust God for the temporal, the day-to-day stuff, the everyday, the temporary, how dare you trust him for the eternal? I was walking around my office studying this and, and, and thinking about it, and I'm getting kind of like Danny. I don't know if you all know about Danny, but he's got a stick in his uh, staff in his office. So when he gets in some real deep thought, he's got this staff, and he's walking around and doing all this swinging stuff with it. I'm starting to get like him. I start to walk around and, and do things. I don't know why. I guess it's just a, I don't know what it is, but it's weird. Once again, <clears throat> but I'm walking around in my office and I'm contemplating this and I'm asking Jesus, what are, you, what are you showing me in this that I can tell these people? And he's like, you know what? I'm not telling you to tell them anything. I'm asking you, do you trust me for the temporal? Of course, that hit me like a ton of bricks. 
Because we always think these messages are for y'all. This message is for me. Do I trust God for the temporal? And I start to wonder, you know, how true of a question is that for all of us? Not just me, but all of us in here today. I mean, it's pretty legitimate, I think. And I think the answer is simple. We all trust God for our security, but we don't trust him for the day-to-day stuff. We know he's big enough to handle heaven and to get us there. But it's this day-to-day stuff that we struggle with. We have no problem with the security of eternity, but we have a lot of problem with the security of tomorrow. You know, the real life stuff that we always talk about, the family stuff, man, the money stuff, the sick stuff, the confusion, the worry, the distractions, whatever they may be, that's the stuff that we have a trouble trusting God in. Psalm 46, as I said, is my all-time favorite. And each time I go there, it just opens my eyes once again just to who God is. Man, and his love and his protection, what he has done through Jesus and what he continues to do through Jesus each and every day of my life. You know, one thing we can be sure of in this world, as I just mentioned, that we're going to have trouble. The world, the scriptures tell us that. You're going to have hard times. We're going to be bombarded with stuff that seeks to destroy everything that we are. Scripture tells us that the enemy wants nothing more than what? Seek, kill, and all these things that he wants to do. Everything that God is, is doing in our lives, he wants to remove that. And many times it causes us to doubt who we are, as I said earlier. It causes us to doubt whose we are. Once again, marriages, finances, kids act stupid. Relationships that aren't healthy, sickness, rejection, persecution, hard times. We have all this stuff, and we can list them for three days, but I'm just asking, just as Psalms 46 tells me, can we trust him in these things? You know, Psalm 46 isn't attributed to any one author. I I was always under the impression that David wrote it, and it would have been easier for me to to understand that David would have wrote that just because of the words that he has written in many other Psalms. But I can't substantiate that anywhere, that David actually wrote this. What I can say is the Holy Spirit inspired it. And it starts off with a statement that we all desire and that we search for, and that is to find our place somewhere. God is our refuge and our strength. Let me read that again. God is our refuge, and he is our strength. Not Casey, not your church, not your ability, not your ways, not your thoughts, not your boyfriend, not your girlfriend, not your spouse. Not how much money you have or how kind of truck you drive. I don't see that anywhere in there. But yet those are the places that we run to to find our refuge and our strength. It says God is our refuge and our strength. A very present help in time of trouble. And because he is with us always, we will not fear. Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake. That is swelling pride. You know, guys, I think sometimes we forget just how powerful the presence of God is in our life. I think we forget just exactly what that means for us who are in Jesus. That we have the presence of God living inside of us each and every day. You see, in the Old Testament, it wasn't that way. God was contained to a certain spot. His presence was contained to a certain spot in the temple and outside the camp. And and not anybody was just allowed to go into his presence. Only the priest. In fact, they even put a veil up to keep the presence of God from being with the people. Exodus 26 tells us, you shall hang a veil under the clasp. 
and shall bring in the ark of the testimony there within the veil, and the veil shall serve for you as a partition between the holy place and the holy of holies. Hebrews actually speaks of it again in chapter 9, but the veil was a constant reminder to the people that, hey, you're a sinner, and you don't deserve to be in the presence of God. You bring your stuff in here, and then we'll make the atonement. We'll, we'll take care of it. The priest will take care of it. You don't deserve to be in the presence of God. Even during the time of Jesus, it was the same way. The temple was a place just like the Old Testament where animal sacrifices were carried out, and, and the worship was done according to the law. And it was followed faithfully, and Jesus messed that all up. Praise God. Man, thank God that he did that, because there ain't no way I could have kept all them rules. There's a bunch of them, 700 and something of them. But guess what, guys? The veil is no longer there. That separation between God and us has been removed by the blood of Jesus. No longer are we sinners like us prevented from being in his presence. It's gone. It has been torn, and because of that, because of the cross, sin has been destroyed as well. A lying away for the very presence of God to dwell inside of us. This is huge. This is absolutely huge. You see, in Acts 17, it tells us that no longer is God to dwell in temples made by hands. First Corinthians, it tells us that we are the temple of God. We are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. I think we forget about the presence of God in our lives. I think if we understood just what that meant, it would change the way we look at everything. I got the power of God living inside of me as a saved child of God. Because of Jesus, God is through with that man-made temple and his religious systems. And guys, he is now a very present help, a very present force in our lives as his spirit dwells inside each and every one of, uh, one of us. Through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6, and his finished work, we are all recipients of that presence of God. I'm telling you, man, that's good stuff. I wouldn't want to be anywhere else but in that presence. I wouldn't want to try to do life anywhere but in that presence of Jesus. And we can have confidence. There's that word again, convinced, persuaded, confidence, that through Jesus, through his shed blood, through his body, that we can do life with him. You see, Jesus' flesh being torn was just the beginning of what he's doing for us. We always think that salvation stops at that moment of prayer. But guys, we're being saved every day. Every day. Thank God for that. I don't know where I would be without that very thing. The author goes on to write this. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy dwelling places of the Most High, and God is in the midst of her, and she will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations may uproar, and the kingdoms tottered, but he raised his voice, and the earth melted. There's something special about this river stuff, too. You see, Jerusalem was one of the few ancient cities that was not built on a river. Ancient cities were built on rivers because, obviously, they needed that, that provision that the river gave them, but Jerusalem was not, and Back in the Old Testament, we can read in 2 Chronicles and 2 Kings that when uh, Sennacherib, and I've been practicing that name all morning, Sennacherib attacked Jerusalem, that was his strategy. They don't have water there. This is going to be easy. They don't have the provision that the river brings them, but little did he know that King Hezekiah had built an underground tunnel, 1,700 and something foot through solid rock to divert the water to his troops. 
from the spring of Gihon to the uh, pool of Siloam, there's some other words that, that, we, that we had to practice on, but Hezekiah and his infinite wisdom given to him by God had diverted the water. And because he did that, they had all the resources they needed to be victorious over this attack from the Assyrians. Now, we know that this reference talking about the river that supplies all of their needs is actually a picture of Jesus. The river is a picture of the greater spiritual resource that we find in Jesus himself. God is in the midst of her. And because he is, he is our living water. He can quench that spiritual thirst and that physical desire that we all have. He is the God who is powerful enough to, to stop the nations. He is the one who, who speaks and creation listens. That song, So Will I. He speaks and creation listens. If we don't cry out to him, the rocks will. He is the one that says, peace be still, and the wind and the waves cease. This is our river of life. This is our source. Whoever drinks of the water, John 14, 4, whoever drinks of the water, I, he shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become a well of water springing to eternal life. John 7, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me and drink. If anybody's in need, let him come to me. Not chase your own ways. Not try to figure it out on your own. Let him come to me. And from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. First of this year, Jesus gave me a word, and I've never had one of those words before, where it's just my focus has been directed on that single word, and it was source. It's been source all year. Every time I turn around, it's source. Jesus is our source. He is our living water. He is our refuge, a very present help in time of trouble, Psalm 46. He is the one that quiets the wind and the waves in our lives. He is the one that strengthens us. He is the one who makes life possible. And whatever problems raised against us, we know that through Jesus, God's spirit is that ever-flowing river that sustains us. It doesn't make it easy, but it sustains us. It gives us a hope and a comfort and a peace knowing that while we are under siege, God is on his throne. And he is taking care of his kids. That's what he does. No matter the fierceness of the siege, no matter the intensity the holy dwelling place of the Most High, us, has been supplied with all the resources it needs to overcome the attack. We are more than conquerors through him. Amen. But here's the kicker. If only we as Christians would learn to drink from this abundant river of God's spirit, if we would actually taste and see that it is good the way Scripture describes it, how would our lives look? How would our lives look if we knew that the only place to find this resource that we're all looking for is in the cross? If we actually saw that it was good, why in the world will we ever turn to the supposed wisdom and pull of a world that is trying to destroy us? If we actually believe this, why will we chase everything else in the world instead of running straight to the cross? And I'm as guilty as anyone. Do we trust God for the temporal as much as we trust him for our eternity? Finally, the psalmist writes this. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease. 
He breaks the bow and cuts the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Cease striving. Or if you're in the New King James Version, it says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. I firmly believe this. And I firmly believe that this is what the end of Psalm 46 is saying. And it's simple. It's so simple. He is God, and I am not. He is God, and I am not. He is on his throne, and I am not. It is all about him, and it is never about me. I need to get that tattooed on my forehead. Because you see, Psalm 73 says that my flesh and my heart will fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. The nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. So once again, can we trust God for the temporal as much as we trust him for the eternal? Do you think that this God who rules over all of his creation, this God who speaks and things come to existence, this God who speaks an entire army drops dead, do you think he's sufficient for you? This God who speaks and the wind and waves stops, this God who speaks and tells the oceans that you can only come this far, you can't come any farther than right here. This is where you stop. This God who gave up his only son so that those whom he has chosen could stand in his amazing presence with all the benefits of heaven, being heirs of the kingdom of heaven, co-heirs with Christ. This God who, as I said, opened his mouth and the world came to be. This God who makes hard stuff not so hard. May not be easy. But it's not hard, if that makes sense. Is he sufficient for us? Can he be trusted with the temporal as much as we trust him for the eternal? I would say yes. And you ask me why I say that. It's because not one time in my 42 years of existence has his promises and protection ever been removed from me. Not one time. And I think if we're truly honest with ourselves and we look back with our mind's eye, we can see his hand and his promises coming to fruition and everything that we're about. It may not always look like it at that time, but his hand is guiding us every moment of every day. Not one time can we see his provision being removed from us. Not one time can we see his mighty hand be taken away from us. Not one time, guys. Not one time has he forsaken us. That's all the proof I need. And while we can stand up here and talk about scriptures that, that do all this stuff and, and point to theology and doctrines, the proof for me is seeing Jesus at work in my life. Seeing Jesus at work in your lives, that shows me that this stuff we talk about in here, 
The stuff we talk about out there, these songs we sing, these words we say, guys, this stuff is real. It's not a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning thing. This is an everyday thing, every moment of every day, and this is real. As real as you looking at me and hearing me speak, this is real. I see it. You see it. And if we're honest with ourselves, we know that what we're talking about in here is true. But we get so distracted and so caught up in stuff that we forget about this God who loves us and who lives for us today. He and he alone is our refuge. He is our resource. He is our ruler. We can lay hold to his sufficiency. You know, I'm always, when I read through the epistles that Paul wrote, you know, Paul had every right to, man, just jump on these people. They were a bunch of hoodlums. He had every right to just hammer them with, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to look. This is what you need to be saying. He never did that, though. All through the epistles, he just kept telling them, remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Look back on the gospel. Why? Because when we know what the gospel is and we understand the power of the gospel in our lives, we're not inclined to do those things that we get so caught up in doing. It's not about rules. It's not about legalism. It's not about religion. It's about Jesus. That's what changes lives. That's what directs paths. That's what fixes families. It is the love of Christ, the goodness of Jesus that brings us to a place of repentance, not this other stuff that we talk about. Guys, this stuff is real. Paul knew it. David knew it. The author of Psalm 46 knows it. And guys, we know it if we're truly honest with ourselves. Remember what Jesus has done and, and just what he is doing. I know it sounds so simple, but that's the way he intended it to be. He said, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. This is simple stuff. Believe in me, trust in me. If we remember these things that he has done for us, it takes us back to that place of worship. Man, that place where we know that he is the excellency in our lives and none of this other crap is. He is our place. He is our source. He is our focus. He is our refuge. He is our living water. He is our place of safety. Jesus is the place that we belong. He is our refuge and he is our strength. Be still. Man, be still. See striving and know that he is God. He is God. I want to close with this. I thought this was pretty cool. Psalm 46 inspired the great reformer Martin Luther, who we've all uh, heard of Martin Luther, to write his triumphant hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. See, Luther faced numerous dangers and threats on his life from the Pope and his forces And at one point, he spent 11 months hiding in a castle. In the face of opposition, excommunication, and pressure from every side to back down, he stood firmly for the truth of salvation by grace through faith alone, which we know is the gospel of Jesus. And when he had an occasion to fear or to grow discouraged, he would say to his friend, Come, Philip, let us sing the 46th Psalm. And they would lift their voices. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. You see, Luther wrote, we sing this song to the praise of God because God is with us. And he powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends his church and his word against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against the implacable hatred of the devil, and against all the assaults of the world, the flesh, and sin. That's good stuff right there. John Piper writes this. 
Faith begins with a backward look at the cross, but it lives with a forward look at the promises. You see, for us to experience God's sufficiency in a crisis, we must be learning to experiencing it each day. If we aren't learning to depend on him and his promises, our refuge, guys, how can we do it in that time of need? How can we draw on him as our source, defer to him as our ruler when things are going smoothly and we can't do it when things are going bad? You see, a crisis does not make us who we are. A crisis reveals who we are. And in a time of trials, in time of those hard things, you're going to turn to what you trust the most. An addict turns to what they're addicted to. A kid turns to their parents. You're going to turn to those things that you trust the most. We as Christians should have one place that we turn. And it's not in the world. It's the cross of Jesus. When trouble strikes, guys, he is sufficient to get us through those times. You see, this psalm points directly to the sufficiency of Christ as our Lord and our Savior, to hold us in times of struggle, to be our advocate, to be our provider, and to be our source. Life is going to chunk stuff at you. And at times, it can be absolutely overwhelming. But guys, once again, we have a very real God who has not left us to do this on our own. We have a very real God that through his power, once again, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. So I want to leave you with this thought. Do we trust him for the temporal as much as we trust him for our eternal? Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, I love you. And Jesus, I pray, God, that you just show us how to trust you. Father, not in just the big stuff, but God, in the little day-to-day stuff that we so often try to fix on our own. Father, we can trust you in those times of confusion. Father, we can trust you when things ain't going right at the house. Father, we can trust you when the doctor calls with bad news. Father, we can trust you with our kids. Father, we can trust you with our marriages. Father, we can trust you with every aspect of our lives. Jesus, help us to give you everything of our life, not just bits and pieces that we choose. Father, but to surrender all, knowing that you are our refuge and our strength. Father, knowing and being convinced that you are fully able to hold that which we have trusted to you. God, you are our strong tower. I love you. Holy Spirit, come now and minister to us in ways, Father, that just blows our minds. Transform hearts in this place today. Open eyes to your glory and to your goodness. Jesus, you be made famous in this place. God, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you're going to do. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name I pray.